Well, hi there. I'm Randy Cross, and this is the Randy Cross Podcast. Um, This is our second effort of our first season, technically. Uh, The Unsafe Spaces has gone away. So this is episode two in our first season. And uh, a lot of the same things you saw there in the open will be in the show. Uh, But we have a very special guest will be our interview this week. And that is Kimberly Bays, who's a communications and innovation team leader with the UN Development Program in South Sudan. And uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I will also tell you, um, I'm from a big family. Uh, I had a brother and five sisters. And Kimberly is the daughter of one of my sisters, Christina or Tina. Um, and, you know, that's, this is my niece. So if she uh, lets loose an occasional Uncle Randy... Uh, you'll know why that is. And coming right now is my niece, Kim Bays from the South Sudan. Kim, welcome. Hi, Uncle Randy. Thank you for having me. <laughs> ah, that's great. Uh, you know, before... We go into exactly uh, what you're doing there in the South Sudan. Just wanted to set things up a little bit. You know, you guys, you grew up in Southern California, down this the San Diego area, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, and, and so Oceanside. how does a girl from the Oceanside area, A, end up at Temple University, got your degree there, and then get so involved on the continent of Africa because you're working there now, but it's it's far from your first time you were in that country or that continent, I should say. Continent, yeah. Um, it's been it's been an interesting journey. I think I was unique in that I was kind of a weird kid uh, starting from high school. Uh, I took an interest in learning specifically. Uh, at the time, the Rwandan genocide really resonated and uh, captured, you know, my concern and my my, my uh, attention. And by then, it was it was several years after, so it was more examining why it happened and and why we as an international community uh, kind of let it happen uh, the way that it did. And that kind of just started to snowball. Um, why did a California girl go all the way to Philadelphia for university, Temple University, proud, proud owl? Um, I went, to, you know, Oceanside is very diverse, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to make sure my university experience was also diverse and different. And I had never spent much time on the East Coast, so that brought me to Philadelphia. And once there, I was recruited into. Uh, this organization called the Organization of African Students, where I made some lifelong, you know, many of them are still my friends, and uh, started to learn about other areas of of Africa. Uh, I had spent a summer in Cameroon before I went to to college. So all of these experiences kind of uh, built on one another. And I feel like Africa as a continent is just it's area of the world that you start to dive in and you learn a little bit and that leads you to learn more and learn more and learn more. And I think professionally, I started to like the idea of looking at very complex challenges that come from, you know, kind of all sorts of sectors uh, and how, how we would solve them. 
So how do you prevent genocide? Or how do you grow in an economy? These are really um, complex issues that take lots of different actors to, to solve. And, and I mean, just from the standpoint of point of reference size-wise, people should be aware of the African continent, how big it is in relation to our country, because often Americans just think of everything in the size of North America. And the African continent just dwarfs North America. The African continent is vast. And I think because of the orientation of our maps and how the globe, how, how we've take a, we take a sphere and we make it flat, has for generations kind of presented Africa in a, a smaller representation of how large it is. I believe. Uh, all of the other continents can fit within the African continent um, together. And I know, for example, many people will not be aware of, of, of South Sudan and its history, but uh, Sudan is the size of, of France, the size of, uh, of Afghanistan, if you want to compare it to other countries. But when you look on the map, I think, on the globe, it looks teeny tiny. Yeah. What are some of the particular challenges because for those that don't know, you know, for you were taught in geography classes, at least I was, um, when you kept looking at maps, there was a listing there that just said Sudan. And now there's a South Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the particular challenges there for you with the UN and going to a country that A, is fairly young and, and B, may not have the, the infrastructure needed to really get up on their feet? I mean, the challenges are enormous. I think, um, you know, they gained independence in 2011. Um, the United States was actually one of uh, the major, uh, you know, kind of friends of this movement that wanted to seek uh, independence from the North, who are both culturally and ethnically much different than the South. Um, and they fought for their independence for over 30 years. So. That has a profound effect of, uh, on, on, on people. Every, every man and young, young man up to a certain age has, has served militarily. Um, every woman has you know, either lost some, some male counterpart and had to endure a, a lot of challenges. Actually, women and children represent almost over 60% of the people who are displaced here in the conflict. So, it has a, a, a big effect on, on everything you can imagine. But, for example, uh, you know, the paved roads, there are, you know, you can count them on one hand. Um, and they were, were built in after, 20, after 2008, 2010, 2011, 2012. So there was a lot of rapid uh, development that happened at uh, Independence in 2011, which really came to a halt on um, the first wave of kind of the, the internal uh, civil strife that, ha- that began in 2013 and is, continues to some aspects uh, today. Well, you were, you have been in that area for how many years now? Because I, I, I know you went through, through some, you talk about the strife in the area, you went through some pretty dicey moments not that long ago. Yes, I was in Juba, the capital city, uh, in 2016, July 2016. 
uh, there was active fighting that happened between kind of two factions of uh, leadership here in the country. And um, yeah, that involved, you know, active fighting going around the uh, and around our compound. We we all um, within the UN tend to reside in um, in compounds with high walls and, and guards and things like that. You can move quite freely. Uh, I arrived in 2016 and, and your, your movement was free, but your curfew was 9 p.m. at the time. Uh, and then after July 2016, when things really went downhill, um, they, they moved, you know, everything, everything takes a step back, including, you know, we're working in development. We're not, uh, I don't work with the humanitarians. The, the people who get the food, the food drops from the sky, World Food Program, um, and uh, entities like uh, UNICEF who really help um, protect children and, and give support in many different ways. Uh, we do kind of different work. We need there to be peace. Uh, without peace, there can be no long-lasting development. But we kind of flip it on its head too, because we've seen here, because it's starting from such um, uh, kind of the ground up needing to build all institutions that you can't have peace without development. Uh, the absence of both entities kind of kind of create this recurrent cycle of conflict and, and people needing assistance. Uh, there's an old and at times maybe inappropriate, but uh, an old saying, uh, how do you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time, and, and that is a large, large challenge you're taking on there in the South Sudan. Um, how, how do you keep that perspective on a on a day-to-day -day basis? Because the the goals have to be one thing, but the challenge has to be sort of almost looking at everything in a very today, right now standpoint, and and not getting lost in everything on the outside. Yeah, I think that's a really excellent question. It it has has had a profound effect on my perspective, even of my country of origin, the United States. You know, and and of our our process of when we were founded, and you know, we were also free fighters. So uh, this you know system of building a government that the people would want from the ground up. Um, I really like to share sometimes some uh, American history when I when I'm speaking to to people. Um, and some of these lessons, I think it's, it's very parallel um, to this context. I think there's a lot of parallels too. I, as you mentioned, I went to university in, uh, in Temple University, which is in North Philly, and did a lot of community work there um, in kind of, you know, uh, a more, uh, you know, community of need. And uh, I see similarities all the time of, of where do you begin? How do you really address uh, the issues in a way that the system will be improved and the people will will be kind of empowered to take ownership of their own, you know, prosperity. And I think uh, what I can say personally is uh, I'm very fortunate in my job, my particular role as a communications officer sends me out into the countryside often. And it's getting to interact with people who no matter what the situation is, you know, you kind of, you see these commonalities and you, you ask them, you know, we're, we're often trying to assess how impactful our programs or our trainings are being. And I always fall back on a question of, uh, 
you know, what is your biggest wishes for your children in 10 years from now? And I love hearing those stories of, of, of what they want or what they, what they need to happen and what they want for their, their children to achieve. Um, and that's really powerful. Yeah, that's something. It's great for you to share that, too, especially sharing some of, you know, our early history as a country, because, you know, frankly, people back here kind of tend to forget about all that. And in a lot of cases, you know, they just don't know. Yeah. What what from your perspective? I think it's also an idea we with the government. Sorry, we also work with the government and yeah. this idea that it's it takes time in in a world now that moves as rapidly as Twitter moves and social media and understanding that you know Rome was not built in a day uh, you know when you speak to people and you and you introduce yourself as an American you kind of get a reaction like oh you guys have it all figured out and you know there's so much prosperity there and there's your, your political system works so well <laughs> and you can kind of share you know you know, we went through, we had our own civil war that is technically the largest, the longest lasting uh, war that Americans fought in. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Hey, uh, for you, do you get this much? And you're in the communications and in your innovation team leader. How much of the media are you involved with there? Because in, in searching stories about South Sudan, this seems to be an area that's you'd be far from saying it's overserved as far as attention in the media goes. There definitely needs to be more attention in South Sudan, uh, and, and working with my UN colleagues who, who have uh, served in other places too, it's hard to say that South Sudan needs more attention than Yemen, than needs more attention than Syria. It's hard for I know people who are far away. Um, to resist becoming desensitized uh, to hearing stories of, of need far, far, far away and trying to figure out, you know, stay interested long enough to listen to what the solutions are when they don't really fit in a, always in a slogan. But I think that, uh, yeah, it's interesting. The, the way that the media works here um, I think sometimes it's a little demoralizing to the locals. Uh, I think it misses some of the positive small steps. You know, they might take five steps backwards, but there are people here who are doing very tenacious, determined, grunt, uh, you know, difficult work um, to move their country forward. And I really think that's a part of um, some of UNDP's uh, innovation and the uh, initiative that we're trying to do with the Accelerator Lab is really trying to surface up more. Mm-hmm. And I know that just on a personal note, when I came over here, I made a conscious effort um, on my Instagram and on my Facebook to try to share more uh, positive stories and empowering images of the women and the children and people doing doing work because it is you know it's everywhere here um and and that's not to diminish the huge challenges and the life-saving um support that happens as well but i think to miss that is to also uh, misrepresent how how it is there's a lot of happiness um just uh an interesting 
anecdote is um, I'm learning how to salsa and bachata and merengue. Uh, and I think it's a funny thing that I will be able to tell people when I leave South Sudan that uh, I, I learned how to become a salsa dancer. It's kind of unexpected. But there's a community of, of locals and expats who, who meet together uh, you know, weekly and, and dance and, and, and enjoy themselves and kind of do something positive and healthy. If, if people out here, out there or here in the U.S. Um, want to know more about what's going on with you guys in the, in the U.N. development program, wh where would they go on the net? Uh, so we have our global website, undp.org, and if you want to access some stories and information and through our website, uh, our, our social media, you specific to South Sudan, you would go to ss.undp.org. So that's SS? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Uh, Kim, I really want to thank you for, for doing this. We're going to have to revisit as things go along, if, if you would like to. Um, it's fantastic, and I can just say, you know, I'm so proud of what you do, always have been, and it's incredible what you're involved in over there, and I know your mom is about the bus, she's so proud of you, but there's a lot of us here that feel the same way. Well, thank you so much, Uncle Randy. It seems weird, just, I cannot just call you Randy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Thanks again, Kim. <laughs> Be safe. Thank you to Kimberly Bays. Um, like I said, I'm pretty proud of that young lady. She's doing some very amazing work. Time now for a little Randy Cross Sports. Yeah, as always, our sports news will come in a three-peat or a three-pack. Uh, first one on, the thing, on our opening story is March Madness. Uh, CBS and Turner doing an amazing job um, of covering all these games. The, the, the weekend was nuts. Uh, the Elite Eight and the way that it shook out. And if you haven't seen it, go back, go online, go wherever you need to go but see some of these games. Our final four, which is going to be in Minneapolis. Yeah, Minneapolis. So they won't be outside a whole lot. But April 6th, it's a Saturday and a Monday. And that Saturday with these four teams, Michigan State, Texas Tech, Virginia, and Auburn, is, I believe, one of the great days in sports. It's right there with the Super Bowl. It's right there with Sunday at the Masters. It's right there with any other big game or day. Uh, you could ask for it's it's pretty special and then they play the final uh, the following Monday night congratulations especially to Auburn and Bruce Pearl um, not only are they kind of a local team my, my daughter Crystal went to Auburn so she's a war eagle but uh, it's great to see somebody kind of out of the box coming into the final four and I know Texas Tech is out of the box too but eh, they're a way, long way from me all right uh, second story of the weekend I'd like to highlight, uh, the match play. 
the World Golf Championship match, match play was down at Austin Country Club in Austin, Texas. And had a lot of crazy stuff, fantastic matches, great shots by a lot of golfers, including Tiger Woods and Bubba Watson. But Kevin Kisner and Matt Kuchar played in the final. And Kevin Kisner won and played some excellent golf in the process. And it's match play, so it's a little different. It's not about strokes. It's about head-on-head type of matches. Uh, And it was also University of Georgia and Kisner against Georgia Tech and Matt Kuchar. So there's a little side story there, but kind of fun stuff. That's number two. Number three for the week is baseball-related. And when I say baseball-related, it's because, well, it's not so much the baseball being played in the parks because there's 162 games. It goes for flipping ever. I mean, it's the thing that wouldn't die as a season. But this year in Major League Baseball, had some great food. Yeah, Major League Baseball food. I'm going to talk about food because you know why? It's a lot easier and uh, it's a lot easier and it's a lot more common ground with people than talking about politics because everybody bitches and moans and argues about politics. Nobody complains about food. Let's start with number five with Kauffman Stadium, Kansas City Royals, the Korean barbecue kielbasa. Yeah, that's what's there. It's a thick, it's a smoked pork kielbasa, Korean barbecue sauce, daikon radish, and kimchi slaw with, of course, fries. Oof. Number four is the Ban Mi Dog. Yeah, Comerica Park in beautiful Detroit, Michigan. This is a thick slab of bacon, fat back, whatever you want to call it, thick slab. It's got Asian slaw and sriracha aioli and a little cilantro on top, I think that is, to uh, spice it up. Number three on the list, and this is from the Minute Maid Ballpark in Houston, Texas. It's the prime rib steak sandwich. Whew, that's a lot of food. Uh, it's beef prime rib, caramelized onions, uh, horseradish cream, and split top bun. Ooh, good luck with that one. Number two, Cuckoo Fries, T-Mobile Park, Seattle Mariners. French fries, Togarashi Japanese seasoning, red tobiko, which is flying fish roe, chili sauce, horseradish cream, and chives. And it's named for the new, their new pitching phenom, UC Kikuchi. Okay, there you go. And number one is the blooper burger. Yeah, the blooper burger. That's at SunTrust Park here in Atlanta. It's a four cheeseburger patties, a foot-long hot dog, chicken tenders, jalapenos, cheese sauce on Texas toast. And access to a free session with a defibrillator actually after you finish. Just be sure that you get back when you hear the the words clear, clear. Rough stuff. All right, that'll do it for sports. Let's now get to the Wambulance for the week. You better grab your blinky and just squeeze it real tight. These people need to get a real life. Ah, uh, Chad Prather, get a real life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there are certain things you can always count on with people. Number one, if you have a kid and they're near a stove and you tell them, don't touch that, it's hot, what's going to happen? Yeah. 
they're going to touch that and they're going to burn their finger. Well, we also learned over the weekend they had the NAACP Awards in Los Angeles. And before that was going on or before it happened, their master of ceremonies, Chris Rock, was told no Jussie Smollett jokes, no mention of Jussie Smollett. So what happened? This. I guess I got to present an award. They said no Jussie Smollett jokes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. What a waste of light skin, you know? You know what I could do with that light skin? <laughs> that curly hair, my career would be out of here. He's fucking running Hollywood. <laughs> um, yes, no, 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 just. <laughs> what the hell was he thinking? <laughs> From now on, I ain't never gonna know just you're Jesse from now on. You don't even get the you no more. <laughs> that you was respect. You ain't getting no respect from me. So just a reminder, if you don't want something to happen, don't tell a comedian not to do it. Because 99.99% of them will immediately start with whatever you don't want to hear. There's your lesson for the day. And here's our feel-good story of the week. This is the good, good news. This is the good, good news. Yeah, this is a fabulous feel-good story, and it's a combination of things. It's about a young man. It's about a disability, part of it. Um... It's about Star Wars. It's about the force being with you. And it's about a star like Mark Hamill getting a chance to get involved. Because you see all the amazing stuff that's being done right here with, with technology when it comes to bionics and limbs, be they arms or legs. Or in this case, as you see in the middle picture, sort of a takeoff on Star Wars and some of the its robotics but uh, I think you'll enjoy this, this little session right here. thing about my hero arm is how it responds to like the muscle movements in my arm like the details on the covers how it moves the light I really like my new Star Wars covers cause like they're really really cool and I love the detailing on it, it and um when I seen them, I was like really super, super happy. Uh, great. Mark Hamill, too, got involved and congratulated this young fan on the amazing BB-8 arm. Here's his quote. Remember, Luke lost his hand to Vader, and that didn't stop him from defeating the Empire. That's a great message to a young Star Wars fan, and 
Congratulations from Mark Hamill means a lot. Been around the Star Wars franchise for a lot of years. Ah, great stuff. Thank you so much for that story. All right, want to remind you uh, where you find uh, this Randy Cross podcast. Primarily, primary place to find it is at randycross.com. But we're also on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter. Thank you so much for viewing this week's uh, effort. And want you to take a look at this uh, happy trails with a little bit of a golf tinge to it.